All right. Hey, Rockbridge, happy Easter weekend. Hey, my name is Matt. I want to welcome you at all six of our physical locations up in Tennessee, Cleveland, and Hickson in the Northwest Georgia e region. We have Ringgold, Dalton, Chatsworth, Calhoun, and then a lot of you watching through our online connections. However you're engaged, we're so glad that you're here, so glad that you're with us. Uh, it's a great weekend to be here, not only because we're celebrating the greatest truth ever, ever that Jesus is alive, but we're also starting a brand new series. If you're new to Rockbridge, we package our teaching in series, and I really believe that God's going to speak to all of us this weekend and that we're going to need to come back over the next couple of weeks to get all that God has for us out of this truth that we're going to talk about around this series called Live No Lies. Before we get into that, I just want to remind you or make you aware of that at all six of our physical locations, we have what we call Monday meetups, and we have a pastor, a staff member, an elder at these locations in our six loca six areas uh, where we have campuses. They're just available. You got a question, you have a prayer need, you want to talk about something, you want to drop by and say hello. Just let me encourage you to do that. We want to be personal. We want to be there. We want to be in our communities. We want to be in each other's lives, praying, supporting, encouraging, and getting to know one another. So just remember that we have Monday meetups. All right, so we're excited that we get to start a new series called Live No Lies. And, and one of the remarkable things that I find as I read through Scripture is that one of the most dangerous things that the Bible warns us about is deception. It's deception that we could actually live a lie. Now, let, let, me, let me unpack how it kind of hits us, because no one would like, necessarily, not necessarily knowingly, like just say, I'm going to live a lie, but we, we do something else, right? So let me show you an example. Most of us would agree that texting while driving is dangerous, right? Yet, I won't ask you to raise your hands, right? But how many of us have done that? right? Because we, th we say, well, I've got to reply now, or man, I, I have this fear of missing out, right? I can't wait the seven and a half minutes to get there. I have this fear of missing out. So we'll do what? We'll do something that we know is dangerous, right? We'll text while driving. How many of us have ever discovered that taking a selfie can be risky? You know, there's a lot of deaths that occur with taking selfies, but we want to get the perfect shot and show our friends, show our Instagram, show our story how cool we are. Look at this one. He is at the running of the bulls, and the bull is right there, and he's trying to get a selfie, right? So, you know, we would say, hey, that's risky, but he's doing it anyway. A lot of us would agree with this statement. There's more important things than money, okay? We would say that. We would believe that, but most of us have neglected something important for money, right? We would say this is true. Regular exercise and a good diet are important, okay? But we might live this. I'll have a Big Mac Diet Coke and then make a New Year's resolution in nine months to start exercising, right? I mean, that's just what we'll do. Have you ever said this to someone or to yourself? Hey, man, nobody's perfect. We've all done stupid things. Most of us have a story to tell, a scar to prove it, and we would say, hey, you know, that's a true statement. And then we'll turn around and say, well, just follow your heart. Bless your heart. Follow your heart, right? So, so we'll say we're not perfect. We've done stupid things. Then we'll say, well, just follow your heart, the thing that makes you do stupid things. So he, here's the remarkable thing that I just want us to maybe admit. We can believe a truth but actually live the lie. We can believe something is true, but actually live a lie. And then it goes a step further. And I know many of us could tell our story that then living a lie is actually enslaving. 
So we know this because Jesus says in, in John chapter 8, hey, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we can actually know something is true, but we can live a lie. And, even, and that lie eventually, ultimately is enslaving. So I want to give you a truth that, that, we're gonna, that we have already affirmed and we will continue to affirm throughout our services this weekend at Rockbridge Community Church and then ask the question. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is true. It's true historically. It's true biblically. It's true theologically. We'll look at that. What lies might we believe even though that's true? And if we can identify those kind of things and those kind of lies so that we can live in the reality of this truth, we'll be free, not enslaved. We'll be hopeful, not discouraged. We'll be confident, not insecure. We'll be people of joy and peace, not people of fear and trepidation. And so if you have your Bibles, love for you to turn with me to one of the great passages of Scripture. We've been studying it, talking about it a lot at Rockbridge. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You're, we're just going to hang out in that Scripture our time together this weekend, and we'll have these verses on the screen. And, and, and we just want to hear Paul's heart as he talks to this church at Corinth. Here's what he says. He says, now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, and that's a Greek word that just means good news, the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, which you believed, which you trusted in, and you have taken your stand on it and by which you're being saved. So this gospel is something that you stand on, that you build your life upon, that you base your hope, your dream, your future, your identity upon, and we're saved by it. We're saved by it. And so Paul is saying something incredibly true about the gospel. He's saying the gospel is not just good news to believe. It's not just truth to believe. It's truth that we can actually build our lives upon. It's a truth that we can build, base our lives upon. And so what a lot of us, let's just be honest, it's been a year since we've celebrated Easter, right? Many of us would say, yeah, I believe Easter, but we haven't lived it. Many of us would say, you know, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but does it show up in our day-to-day -day lives? Do we build our lives upon that truth? Or is it sort of like texting while driving? It's dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. And we believe the truth, but we live the lie. And see, Paul's whole goal, Paul's whole goal is this. He says at the end of this chapter, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Be sound, be secure, be confident. You know, we're all coming out of just a, a, an era of incredible uncertainty and incredible confusion and an incredible just fear, trepidation, and insecurity. And here's Paul saying, hey, look, if we can take this truth of the gospel and if we can live on it and base our lives on it and build our lives upon it, we'd be steadfast and we'd be immovable. But there's a big if, if we go back to the beginning of Paul's discussion, he says, listen, if you, so you build your lives upon it, you base your lives upon it, if you got a hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And that would be the equivalent of believing the truth, but living the lie. Now, how does that happen? How do we take what Christians would argue, and I would argue, is the greatest news ever that Jesus, Son of God, came back from the dead? How do we take a truth that glorious 
and then live a lie that contradicts that truth that we would affirm, we would sing about, we would read about in Scripture. How do we do that? It it, it seems to me what we do is we take something that's true, and then instead of living the now what or now how do I live, we live like a so what. Hey, I know Big Macs are bad for me. So what? Right? I know texting is dangerous while I'm driving. So what? Hey, and I I get it, right? I get it. You just lost your job, and you're like, Easter, so what? Man, you know, you got trouble in your family, trouble in your marriage, trouble at school, trouble at home, whatever. And you're like, man, Easter, that's 2,000 years ago. This is 2021. What is the now what for Easter? It's a so what right now. I've just got to figure this out, right? We, We look, we turn on the news cycle, And we get constantly bombarded with information that's discouraging, that's challenging. We get constantly bombarded with war or injustice or corruption. And and it's it's easy to say, man, Easter is like, so what? It's like like if I told you what the weather was in the Pacific Northwest, you'd be like, okay, that's true, but so what? How does that affect me here where I am today? And it's easy to do that with Easter, isn't it? But I'm going to show us through God's Word. I want to show us through God's Word five now what's, five implications that we build our lives upon and we don't live the lie as we believe the truth of Easter. Hey, to get into this, I want to ask you if you're able to do something just to worship God to continually with our body posture. If you're able to, as I read this one section of Scripture, I want to invite you all to stand where you are if you're able to, as we'll read God's Word together. Christians believe the Word of God is authoritative. Christians believe the Word of God is one of the greatest miracles. It's how God speaks to us. It's the predominant way He speaks to us. And there's a part that we're going to read here today that is an old hymn of the church that's dated to within two to three three years of Jesus' resurrection. So what you're doing and about to read or what I'm about to read over us and for us is something that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years, affirming this truth that we're going to live into, this truth that we're going to say, okay, it's true. Now what? Now how do I live? Here's the Word of God. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. So this is the truth that's the most important truth in the world, that Christ died for our sins. This is the hymn. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat as we dig into this. All right, so Paul has just told us the truth of the gospel. It's four things. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared. Died, buried, raised, and appeared. And he says he appeared to over 500 people, including the 12 apostles, and and then Paul himself as an apostle. So what's the now what for us? The first now what is this? Faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, when I put my faith in Christ, it's well-founded. It's based upon truth. It's not based upon emotion. It's not based upon subjectivity. It's based on something that's true. Because here's something that is true. Everybody has faith. Atheists have faith. Agnostics have faith. Everybody's got faith. If you're sitting in a chair right now, you've got faith in that chair. 
If you're going to get in your car after the service and go home, you're going to have faith in that car. Everybody's got faith. The question is, is the object of our faith strong enough to take a stand on? See, Paul, later on in the same passage, verse 14, he's going to say, if Christ has not been raised, if it's not true, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. Now, see, I think most of us know something. I think most of us know what it's like to put our trust and confidence in something or someone that later on proves to be vain or futile, right? You've trusted someone. You've put your faith in something, and later on it proved to be vain and futile. It wasn't that you didn't have faith. Your faith was just placed on something that you really found out later you couldn't stand upon. So when Paul says, take your stand on the gospel, and then he proves that the gospel is based on fact and the gospel is based on truth, he's saying your faith can be well-founded. But see, there's three lies that we're going to get tempted to believe. That'll cause us to believe the truth but live the lie when it comes to faith. And here's what they are. Faith is subjective and personal. There's an assault in culture. There's an assault in culture, right, that we can say 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that's a fact. But to say Jesus is risen and Jesus is Lord, oh, that's your opinion. Not according to Paul, not according to history. If 500 people most of whom were still alive when this hymn was written, saw Jesus alive, that's called historical fact. So just like we would say the world is round, George Washington was the first president, we can say with historical accuracy, that's Jesus is alive, Jesus is Lord, that's true, that's a fact. But what society wants us to do is, no, it's subjective and personal, therefore it needs to be private and not overflow into other aspects of your life. And that keeps this truth cordoned off, and we only talk about it once or twice a year or one hour a week, right? Other people are like, well, man, you just got to believe. Just gotta, you ever heard someone say, man, you just got to have faith? I would just add a but to that, a faith in what? Because uh, if your faith's not well-founded, your faith is worthless. And Paul's saying, hey, your faith is well-founded. And then some people say, no, I just need to have more faith. I need to have more faith. I would argue it's not the amount of faith. It's what your faith is founded in. And so what we see Paul doing is saying this, the resurrection validates Jesus as a reliable and trustworthy object of our faith. See, the Bible never asks, God never asks you to believe without proof. The Bible says faith is not belief without proof, but it's trust without reservation. Trust in Christ without reservation because your faith is well-founded. So, so let me give you an example. This is a picture of a guy named Frank. He's, he's French, so I can't pronounce his name, but his name's Frank, okay? So <clears throat> he, uh, this, he, he was like a Parisian tailor, and he kind of got into making parachutes, right? This is early 1900s, okay? And he really believed his parachute would work. He had a lot of faith in that parachute. He climbed up to the Eiffel Tower, the first restaurant that was there, stood up on a table and, and so he could clear the railing and jumped off. Frank didn't make it. Frank had a lot of faith, though. So what is the lesson in that? It's not what my faith is in. It's not how much faith do I have. He had 100% faith. But was his faith well-founded? Was his faith based on truth, based on fact? No. We can, so, so when people say, hey, you just got to have faith, in what? 
When people say, hey, faith is a personal choice and it's subjective, you say, no, my faith is based on truth. Contrast that with this. In China, there's, a, there's the, this longest glass bridge in the world. It's about four footballs long, and it's about 11, 1,200 feet high off the ground, and you can walk across it. Yet an interesting phenomenon happens. Sometimes tourists, when they get off and start walking across it, and it's supporting their weight, and it's getting them to point A to point B, they'll look down, and they'll freeze and go pancake on the ground, right? Now, you would say they don't have enough faith, but the bridge doesn't care that they don't have enough faith. The bridge just does its job. You don't have to have perfect faith. You just have to have faith in the right object. And Jesus says there's a, there's a chasm, there's a gulf this far between you and God, and it's of our own making that we're sinners. So when Jesus died for our sins and invited us to trust in him as our sin substitute, he doesn't, he's not asking us to have a ton of faith. He's just asking us to have faith in him. He's asking us to have faith in him that's not in vain, that's well-founded. So our faith in Christ is well-founded. And then Paul continues his conversation, and he says this. He goes, now, I'm the least of all the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not, and there's that word again, it was not in vain. See, here's, there's another now what of the gospel. There's another now what of Easter, of the resurrection here. He says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Here's the now what. Identity is a gift to receive. Here's the lie. Identity is achieved. If you and I could talk and you and I could swap stories, most of us have believed a lie that I am what I do. Most of us have believed the lie that identity is, is based on my activity, my achievement, what people think of me. Psychologists will tell you that there is a higher percentage of stress, worry, and anxiety in our era, the modern era, and they'll tell you that one of the reasons is because we are all basing and trying to build our identity on something that fuels uncertainty and insecurity. And Paul says, no, 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 take your stand on the gospel and be who you are by the grace of God, by the work of God, by the calling of God. See, I, I, I guarantee you there's stress right here where I'm preaching live. There's stress online. There's stress at our other locations. And if we really pulled that stress out and looked at the root of the stress, you're worried about something because it's closely tied to who you think you are, who you think you're supposed to be, who you think others want you to be. So the now what of Easter tells you who you are. You can be a child of God. And what we have to recognize, though, is this. All of us have an achievement problem. That's why the gospel says Christ died for our sins. This means you and I have done things. We've done things that, uh, that have offended God. We've done things that have violated our creative purpose. We've preferred things other than God. And so we need, our performance is never good enough. We need someone to clear the record for us. We need someone to give us the righteousness that we don't have on our own. And so God sent Jesus, and part of the good news is he died for, in our place, and he died instead of us. And so the resurrection of Jesus does something. It, it's an achievement of God. 
where he vindicates the saving success of Jesus' death. The payment is like Jesus' death. The receipt is like of the payment is the empty tomb saying, hey, you and I can be forgiven. You and I can be in a right relationship with God. The greatest identity you can ever be given is to be called a son or daughter of God. When you look in the mirror and you think about what's the most important thing about you, do not tell me your career. Do not tell me what you've done in your past, good or bad. Do not tell me your hopes and dreams for the future. Look yourselves in the mirror and say, Jesus died for me to make me his son and to make me his daughter. And that's the now what of Easter. See, listen to how Paul says it. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. So the truth of Easter is what he has done is always greater than what I do or what I did. The truth is what God has done is always greater than what I do or what I did. I I have a mentor pastor many, many years ago. He made this statement. He goes, he said, listen, I'm at my best when I wake up every day and live as if I have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. Nothing to prove and nobody to impress. Now, you know what that's called? It's called freedom. Where does that freedom come from? I base my identity on what Christ has done not what I do, not what I did, not what others think I should do. Paul continues to unpack these now what's of the gospel as he says this, I am the least of all the apostles. Look at what he says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. Paul used to kill Christians and he became one. Paul used to be a leader of the movement trying to kill Christianity. And then he became an an initiator, a leader of the movement to spread Christianity. So he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And then he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Yet on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And I just see the transformation. I'm not worthy, yet by God's grace, I am who I am. And now I can work harder based on a calling in my life. Here's the third now what of the gospel. Many of us need this truth this weekend. Being stuck is a choice, not a condition. How many of us have bought into the lie that I can't change? How many of us have bought into the lie that the best is not yet to come? The best was taken from me five months ago, five days ago. The best was taken from me because my first marriage ended. The best is being taken from me because of what the doctor just told me. How many of us are looking back at the pandemic and saying, man, it took something from me and we're stuck in a mentality of being a victim. We're stuck in our past. We're stuck saying, I'm not worthy. We're stuck saying, man, I'm midlife crisis and I'm not sure I'm going to get to check off everything off my list. No. Paul goes from I'm not being worthy to now I'm working hard for the cause of the gospel. Stuck is a choice because of the empty tomb, not a condition. It's like we're standing in the grave, right, with Christ and the stone's been rolled away, but we're staying inside. That's living the lie. That's living the lie. See, God created us and then calls us back to him to live for him, to be changed, to be transformed. I love how John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, says it. Look what he says. 
I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not what I was. That's the path of the deliverance from the past, moving forward in the present, and hope for the future. You see what Paul does? You see it in the text. He takes the now what, the truth of the resurrection, and then he adds grace-driven effort, and he gets, he's, un, he's not stuck. He's unstuck, and he moves forward. The truth that you cooperate with through grace-driven effort moves you forward in faith. That's why at Rockbridge, we are always talking about taking steps of faith. That's why we're always talking about, hey, if you feel stuck, raise your hand because God doesn't want you stuck. God wants you moving forward in faith. God wants you moving forward believing that the best is yet to come. That's why we invite you to come back next week because this series continues and the greatest threat to you and the greatest threat to me is not that something might happen to you out there, but that you might believe a lie in here and then live that lie instead of enjoy the truth that sets us free and keeps us free and allows us to move forward in faith in God. And that leads us to this next thing, which is something we all need. And some of, and we have it, but how good is it? And that's hope. Listen to what he says about hope. We move on down in the chapter. He says, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If all we got is our time on earth and we're only hoping in Christ for this time on earth, we should be pitied. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. Truth, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first, more come after that. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam we inherit our sin nature from him, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So the fourth now what of the gospel is this, living hope is available. And I want to zero in on that phrase, living hope, because a lot of us don't have living hope. We have flimsy hope. We have fragile hope. We have hope that's one text message away, one bad day at work away from being gone. And what we're invited into as a now what of the gospel is a living hope that God has something great for his kids and that God is, when we're following God, the best is always yet to come. But, but here's the lie, okay? The lie is this. This little dot represents our time on earth. And I don't know how much time you have. You don't know how much time I have. None of us do. But the dot is our time on earth. The lie is this. We have to fit it all in right here. The truth is this. This right here is broken. This right here is not as God designed it or intended it. But God invaded this right here in history. And what did he do when he invaded? He loved, he taught, and then he died for our sins that caused this brokenness. He was buried for our sins that caused this brokenness. He was raised, overcoming the power of death, overcoming the brokenness of humanity. And then he appeared and now he sits and he reigns and he invites those of us here to trust him that the best is yet to come forever. I ask you right now, are you living for the dot or are you living for the arrow? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Is it flimsy? 
Say, listen, if you got flimsy hope and I say Jesus is alive, you're going to say, so what? How does that help me? Because all you're looking at is right here. But if I say Jesus is alive, the best is yet to come, but we got to look out here. You can walk out of here with joy in your heart, peace in your heart, and a smile on your face because nothing that happens here on the dot can take away the hope that's yet to come in Christ. Nothing. Listen to how Paul personalizes this, okay? Paul was persecuted for being a Christian. Then Paul was killed for being a Christian. Listen to what he says. He goes, why are we in danger every hour? He says, I face death every day. And he talks about one particular instance. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do to me? So what he's saying is, if I go through all this trouble for Christianity, if I go through all this trouble for Christ, and this is all I'm hoping for, that when I'm dead, it's gone, it's over. He's like, what what good does that do? That's like pointless. He goes, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's just pack it all in in the time we got, and when we die, it's over. And he says, but come to your senses, believe the truth, and don't live the lie. Come to your senses. Your hope is not in vain. The best is yet to come. Come to your senses. Stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. What's he inviting them to do? Live for eternity, not just life in broken earth. That's the invitation. See, listen, hear me when I say this. If you need circumstances in your life to change, to have peace and joy, you are hoping in something other than the gospel, and your hope is flimsy, fragile, and will sooner or later prove to be futile. So listen, there's really two ways to live, okay? You can live for a victory that may or may not come, and if it does come, it won't last. Or you can live from victory. Let me, let me share what I mean in Scripture, okay? Death has been swallowed up in victory. So death can't defeat our hope. Death can't take our joy. Where death is your victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. We know how it all turns out. So whatever happens here can't take what's protected, what's already been achieved out here. So instead of putting all your hope in this basket of brokenness, put your hope in the promises of a resurrected Jesus. That's now what, right? That's now what? Honey, I had a bad day at work. Jesus is alive. The best is yet to come. And you can go on and on and on. And nothing that happens here can threaten what God has for you here. Nothing. Nothing. Which leads us to the fifth now what of the resurrection. Jesus, we read it, Jesus really is Lord and Savior. He really is. Truth. Now listen, 
For some people, that's a threat. That's a threat. Because you want to be Lord. But when we see what he's done, when, he, when we see the hope that he's provided, when we see the freedom that he's offered, Jesus being Lord and Savior is really good news. And, and the good news of who he is invites us to trust him, to put our faith in him, invites us to give him the steering wheel of our lives. See, see a lot of us, you know, it's like we're threatened with hell. I don't want anybody to feel threatened to hell this weekend. I'm not saying hell doesn't exist. I just don't want you to be threatened with hell. I want you to be wooed and invited by the glory of God, the goodness of God, the hope of God, the accomplishment of God, that Jesus Christ is alive, and he's inviting us to live as if the truth that he is Lord, he is Savior, and that's really good news. In fact, when Jesus talked about surrendering your life to him, he talked about it as if it was the greatest offer, the greatest transaction, the greatest act that we could ever do. Listen to how he described it in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Putting yourself under the rule of Jesus is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, not in his reluctance, then in his joy, he goes and sells, gives up everything he has so he can buy that field. It's a beautiful surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus died for all your sins, and he wants you to surrender all to him. And that's really, really good news. I was reading this story about the Knights of Templar. I don't even know if the story is true, but it illustrates the truth. The Knights of Templar, where it came out in the Crusades of the Middle Ages, they were like a Navy SEAL version of, of Christians that worked for the church, I'm not even talking about the ethics of that or anything like that, right? But they were trying to protect some of the holy sites in the Holy Land. And, and, and there's this rumor that circulated that they got baptized every time they went into battle. But when they were baptized with their sword... And they would always hold the sword above the water because they wouldn't surrender that to the lordship of Jesus. I wonder how many of us are holding on to something rather than surrendering to someone. Someone who died for us. Someone who was buried for us. Someone who was raised for us someone who invites us to build our lives on his gospel. So if you were to start today and base and build your life on the gospel, what would that look like? It would look like four things, four things. We would believe that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we would accept his death in our place. And we would accept that he is Lord and he is King and he is Savior. And we would switch or surrender, or as we say, we would give Jesus the steering wheel of our lives. And then we would express all of this through one act of obedience, and that is being baptized. And then we would seek to obey Jesus from this moment forward. So here's, a, here's the offer as I pray. Where are you with Christ? 
Do you have a base that you stand upon? Are you living with living hope? Are you living in the identity as a child of God, a son of God? So however God speaks to you, and however you need to live the now what's of Easter, of the resurrection, I just invite you to cooperate with God's spirit and God's word because God's already said yes to you. Where do you need to say yes to him? Let's pray together. God, I, want, I just want to thank you for the greatest news, the greatest truth ever, that Jesus is alive. God, I want to pray that that truth hits us the right way this weekend. That, God, we recognize that it is not only a truth to believe, it's a truth to build and to base our lives upon. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you show us in the gospel that you have said yes to every single person in the sound of my voice, but you're waiting for our yes. What yes do we need to make and take this Easter weekend to live the truth that, Jesus, you are alive? Holy Spirit, we invite you to do your work. And it's in your mighty name we pray. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.